0: Coming live from Athens, Georgia, USA is our guest this evening. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information or simply learning from them. And today we have Nathan Stuck, founder and CEO of Profitable Purpose Consulting. Welcome to the show. Nathan.
1: Thank you, AJ. I appreciate it and uh, excited to be here.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So we'll be talking about how you can find a career with purpose in today's time. So firstly, uh, Nathan, today's times are difficult. Post-COVID and between COVID, a lot of people lost their jobs. And many people became a part of the great resignation because they did not find a purpose in what they were doing. So, firstly, in today's time, it's a very difficult job to have a career. First to have a job, then to have a career, and you are talking of career with purpose. So let's try and and understand and learn from you how we can get a career with purpose. What is a career with purpose, if you can start from there?
1: I think a career with purpose is anything where you, you don't... You don't hate Mondays, you know, I mean, like it it, it's they whatever you want to call it, the Sunday dreads um, all these all these terms we have for like you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach at like 12 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And you're like, man, I have to go back on Monday. Um, I I think that's that's really what a career purpose to me is, is, is it giving you something that that fills you up that that gets you excited do you enjoy your work do you enjoy what you do do you enjoy the team do you enjoy your boss do you enjoy the clients i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're you know saving the world it, it, you know i think it just comes down to is does it, does it does it does it does it fill you does it does it does it bring you joy does it bring you i mean we have to do what 45 years of of work so the thought of doing something that just makes you unhappy um is terrifying. And I, and I think, you know, the big thing is just making sure that you're working towards that your entire career, that you're, you're at least if you're not there yet, that you're working towards that goal.
0: So why is it Nathan that today people are trying to find a purpose? Uh, Was it earlier on or is it more uh, in today's time? And if, if yes, because my, I, my understanding is that the amount of stress that is, rising in workplaces, and the amount of uh, therapists getting into, you know, trying to solve those problems at workplaces shows that something is not quite right. That's not how workplaces were thought to be. It was They were supposed to be happy places where people were supposed to give their best for their companies. So how did the tide turn this way? I guess you will be able to understand, uh, help us understand this, because you are saying it from very close quarters.
1: Yeah, I think I think the last two years had a lot to do with it. I think it made people reevaluate life and the importance of things and the importance of family and the importance of um, being happy. Um, I, I think that, that the, the shift, and I think it was coming. I think the last two years just kind of pushed it. So, because, you know, everybody talks about the great resignation and, and, you know, what, what is it and, and how can you, you know, and I'm like, you go back to the days, you know, everybody in America talks about the good old days. And, you know, I think about like my grandpa and he worked at the same company for 40, 50 years, you know, and then you basically like die on the job and they give you a watch when you leave. And, and and there like, well, that's over, that's never coming back. And I'm like, I don't know that that necessarily has to be over. I don't think people enjoy job hopping. I think that we've made jobs to the point where we get as much out of an employee as we possibly can. And then we burn them out and they move on. And then someplace else is nice to them for a couple of years and kind of gets as much as they can out of that employee. And then they move on. And it's like, that's the only way to build a career. And I don't think that that's necessarily going away, but I think that what's coming back is that sense of like, We can create workplaces and jobs and roles that provide purpose, that provide meaning, that provide meaningful pay, that provide work life balance, that provide the benefits that entice people to stay and build a career with that company and not necessarily look to leave after three to five years. So I don't necessarily think that like this generation's any more jumpier or wants to, you know, needs their career to happen quicker. I think we've just kind of gotten away from treating employees well and that i mean that shifting we can go back to the 80s we can go back to milton friedman's shareholder doctrine we can go back to so many different things that i think led us to looking at employees as numbers instead of people
0: so who is the problem here is it the employees or is it the companies how is is it working uh, because at the end of the day When you talk of employees, then almost everybody is an employee, including a CEO most of the time. So don't they get it that if you are not treating employees well, then it could also include you. Maybe not today, but tomorrow. So where is the disconnect? Why are we at the place that we are today? Who is responsible for it?
1: Uh, you know, I think it's I think it was the shift in 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 capitalism from, you know, and, and you again, touching on Milton Friedman and shareholder primacy. And, and, you know, this 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 returns over everything and shareholders over everything. And, you know, and, and making good money over time turned into quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, quarter four. And if to hit your quarter four numbers means you have to lay somebody off then we lay people off. And so I think they killed employee loyalty because they assumed that like the other employees there didn't notice that half a department just boxed up their office and and, and it got <laughs> escorted out of the building. So I think over time it, it's just been, but you think about it, like who was writing all those business books and, you know, everybody, my God, Jack Welsh from General Electric is looked at as some like brilliant mind of business. And you look at like GE, like never really long-term for long-term success. It wasn't that great. It was great in the interim while he was there for the shareholders. But as far as thinking long-term about where that business was going, it it wasn't exactly um, a case study in, in, in long-term growth and profitability and stability. So I think, I think you, 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 you get into some of the um, what we hailed as great business practices. And then I think now what you're seeing is the great resignation, the great awakening, whatever, as people going like, yeah, but why? And I mean, even the, the whole concept of like, if you work hard enough, you can be the CEO. You said it. I mean, how many CEOs are there at, you know, any given company, especially your bigger companies, there's 20, 30,000 employees. How hard do you have to work to get to CEO? you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we need everybody at that company. We need the truck driver. We need the the custodial staff. We need the cafeteria worker. We need, you know, we need all those people serving their role in the organization. And I don't think that makes them any less important. And I understand that that they're not going to get paid CEO money, but it doesn't mean we have to take advantage of their time. So I think people love to put the blame on employees, but I you know, it's like what we do it with every generation too. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an old, well, an upper cusp millennial. I'm a 39 year old millennial. Um, so my cutoff is, I think I'm like three years below the cutoff of, of Gen X. But anyway, like when millennials were coming up, it was like, Oh, millennials are entitled. Oh, they're lazy. They don't want to work. And then Gen Z showed up and we're like, Oh, Gen Z. Oh, they're entitled. They don't want to work. Um, and, and everything's their fault. And it's, you know, it, But if you go back and you look at basically every generation that's come up, the generation before them has labeled them as entitled and soft and lazy. And so I think that that rush to blame, workers—it's it's it's an easy scapegoat to blame the employees. But I think we've just gotten away from from values, from from human centric um, business practices where we looked at people as people, understanding that, yes, sometimes tough decisions need to be made, but. Um, sometimes you can avoid tough decisions and still remain profitable and think long-term. And I've, I've, I've worked for companies like that. And it's incredible to see in real time of, you know, a company forsaking a year of profit to keep the team intact. And then the next year seeing business pick up and the team being intact was what allowed us to stay in business. Cause we were fully staffed. So I've, I've seen it play out where like, this isn't some crazy dream of like, you know, the, the pipe dream of like, that would never work in practice. I've seen it work in practice. It does work in practice. And I think the companies who think like this are the ones that are going to survive long term, because they're the ones where Gen Z, if they're doing one thing, Gen Z is disrupting this and they, they don't want, they don't want just because you had a terrible job to start your career in 1987 doesn't mean that Gen Z is going to put up with it. Doesn't mean, you know, and now that Gen Z's kind of spoken up, millennials have kind of found their voice. Um, and it's like, just because you, you know, you went through something terrible and the job was bad and your boss was mean and you worked 80 hours doesn't mean that anybody else wants to do that. What well, just because you did, it doesn't make it right. So we're sorry that you had to do it, but we're not going to do it. And just because you had to do it doesn't mean now that you're in a position of leadership that you have to manage in that manner. So, yeah, I, I think, I think we just kind of lost our way Is is as companies, as thought leaders, as business leaders of of what it looks like. And we just kind of went with this is the way we've always done it. But we really we haven't always done it this way. We just haven't in our modern, you know, in our working history. I think we've done it this way.
0: So if we have lost our way, who will show us the way?
1: Who Gen Z, I think, is doing a great job right now. you know, again, I, I, I point to them all the time and sometimes I have to temper their enthusiasm because they, you know, if they had their way, they'd burn it all to the ground. Um, so sometimes I'm like, Hey, we have to, you have to do the work to make it better. Um, we have to, you know, for everything in society, we have to be willing to do the work, but, you know, honestly, one of the things that I'm involved a lot with is, is, is the B corporation movement and, and there's, I think we're almost at 6,000 B Corps and something like 80, over 80 countries and like 100 and something industries, but certified B corporations that are putting their values or their money where their mouth is and their values where they they're making their actions meet their words. And I think that's important because right now everybody's claiming to be a great company. Everybody's claiming to care about the environment. Everybody's claiming to care about their people and that they're human centric and Everybody's claiming that they care about diversity and inclusion and, you know, equal treatment, equal opportunity. And at the end of the day, like not everybody is. I mean, I think it signifies that the market has shifted and that marketing departments know that they have to present their company that way to sell their product and to be uh, attractive to potential employees. But I don't think that a lot of companies are doing it because, they necessarily want to or they see the business value in it so i think it's it's the b corporations and you're seeing bigger companies around the world denone you know that makes yogurt and milk like they're the now denone north america and they're doing all their subsidiaries they're certifying uh, nespresso just certified so you're starting to see bigger and bigger companies actually go through that outside assessment go through the verification open their books um expose their warts expose everything and aim to achieve that certification that, that I think sets your business apart. And I think the more companies that do that and the more mainstream that movement becomes, the more jobs there are, the more that, I mean, people I get reached out to all the time. Like, how do I find a job at a B Corp? How do I, how do I find a job at a B Corp? Who do you know at a B Corp? And I think the more we we promote that and the more um, mainstream it becomes, the more you'll see that movement start to take off. Cause I really think that, yeah, yeah I think that that, this generation of, of shareholder over everything and, and just that the way to run a bit, it's just, it's not sustainable. It isn't for the environment. It isn't for our people. Um, it isn't for resources. It isn't, it isn't for our communities. So I, I think you're seeing that shift. And I think B Corps are leading the way.
0: Okay. Okay. So uh, if you look at the generation X, Y, Z, whatever uh, you can be hopeful of, uh, but they are also becoming a part of the same employee system and that system is troubling them and they are troubling them to such an extent that they are struggling to find a purpose. And that is why you again see the great resignation. Is it a temporary phenomenon that there will be a tussle for some time and then the pres- the young generation will take over. They will be the winners. And they will cast the new world in the way they want to do it. Do it. Do you see it that way? Or the people who are looking for profits, of quarter after quarter after quarter, will you know, will send them to the therapist. So many of them.
1: I think, honestly, I think that this young generation, like, they have a power. I teach. I teach a class at, at the University of Georgia, and like, I tell. T- I teach my students this. Like, you have. An incredible power and in that we still work in a capitalist society economy like you can vote with your wallet you can vote with where you spend your money you can vote with where you decide you want to work you you have so much power in society just because of of the dollar like the the almighty you know what do they say money talks and you know what walks um i'll keep it clean here but at the end of the day, if, if, if we move the, the, the curves, the supply and demand curves for products based on your business practices, and we just we don't want to buy from your um, company anymore. You have to change or you won't survive. Same thing with like what you're seeing in the great resignation is you're seeing companies lose top talent. So if you continue to, to lose top talent and then there's somebody else, just like in any, any sort of product over time, you know, somebody was making bread and that was nice. And then somebody came along with sliced bread and we went, that solves a need. I needed my bread sliced and now you've sliced. Yeah. So it. So when you see these people leave, there's some enterprising company, entrepreneur that's out there going like, oh, so what are you looking for? You're looking for work-life balance, and the ability to work from home and not, not have your chair monitored of whether you're productive and your computer was on. And did you get your work done is all we care about. And we're going to give you good benefits and good pay. I'll hire you and they'll figure out how to structure the business around what the employees want and they'll start to get top talent and they'll start to pass those other companies. So I think that's, that's where I think you're going to see the shift is, is that young generation. If they take advantage of this opportunity um, I think that they can move the, you know, the demand curve for, for both for who they work for and, and where they spend their money. And then the demand curve will, will adjust and that, And that's where you'll see benefits and you'll see all these things adjust and that's what's going to come out of the Great Resignation.
0: Right, right, Nathan. So let's focus on the young generation. Let's forget the old generation. And so this young generation who's in all over our workplaces and they are the ones who will do most of the work, also chart the course for the future many of them will also become ceos vice presidents and also entrepreneurs a lot of uh, people are moving into startups now they want to have a purpose if i understand they look at life more perhaps in this new world that we are moving in how do they find their purpose a lot of people are still struggling to find that purpose now you see you are founder and ceo of profitable purpose consulting you are an entrepreneur non-profit leader lecturer author your book has just come you know you talk about that book you are a podcast host you you are a speaker and in addition to all this you are also the director of culture corporate culture and strategic impact at ad victorium solutions so many things who better than to get give solutions to the questions that I asked. And so many people are looking for this stuff called purpose. So how do they find their purpose? How do they know what their purpose is? Is it about the purpose of finding the right job? High paying job? Or is it about the purpose of life, you know, self-actualization? How do you see? I'm asking several questions at the same time so that you know, you can answer them at your pace. I'm just listening.
1: Yeah, I think you know. The big thing for me is, I think we we still have to be realistic that, like, that first job you get out of university, like you're yes, you're not going to instantly be in the C-suite. That is one thing that, like, that's it's not a gen it's not a Gen Z thing. It's not. It wasn't a millennial thing. It It's every generation you get in when you're 23, 24, you go, Oh my God, I could run this company so much better. You don't know what you don't know. You don't, you know, like, so sometimes you have to temper those expectations, but that first job you have, like you have an opportunity, even if you're doing something you're not crazy about, because you might not know what you're crazy about yet. I dispatched trucks. Um, I told truck drivers where to go. So, and told them what, where to get gas, you know, where to go get diesel and where to get fuel. And it was like, so, but you know i think about some of the jobs i had i also rented cars for enterprise and like i've had all those jobs at the beginning where like okay there wasn't a lot of purpose but there was a lot of opportunity to learn There was a lot of opportunity to take in lessons and a lot of those big companies like enterprise was a great company and they taught me how to manage numbers and and you know even trucking i, ne- I didn't necessarily love the industry it's high stress but it taught me how to manage people it taught me how to, I was 22 23 managing people in their 60s so it it gave me that experience like if you're going through that early part of your career and you're remembering to invest in yourself and to work hard and develop all kinds of skills whatever job you're at be the best at it you can be i think that's where the magic starts to happen because the more of that you do the more value value valuable you become to the marketplace um, because you have skills, and I, I understand. I might not be great. I thought I was good at operations until I took an MBA level operations course, and okay. I realized it's calculus. Never mind. Just kidding. I was only good at telling trucks where to go. Um, so, but the fact that I understand operations, I understand logistics. That I understand, you know, how to read a P and L. Like so, as I was coming out of my MBA. And I got an opportunity at Advic, which, by the way, I left two a month and a half ago. I'm full time entrepreneur now um, on really good terms, really good boss. I'll tell that story later. Um, so but as I as I came into that new opportunity, I had skills where I was able to write my own ticket because now it was like here. I joined Advic, which was this this, you know, eight person little consulting company that now has over 150 employees. And, and I was there at eight and. We had no operations playbook. We had no, you know, even finance, like how, w- you know, what's the audit process look like? And here I come in with PL experience and operations experience and all these things that like, and I came into a company with just a bunch of people who've done IT consulting and that's all they know. And they're really good at it. I don't know anything about IT consulting. I did learn a lot. Um, but I was able now to come in and add immediate value. And over time, as I was adding that value, I was also getting to do more and more of the stuff that I was really passionate about, which was our B Corp certification and, you know, our corp building out that corporate culture with you know, starting at eight employees, man, you're on the ground floor to really build a culture of transparency and trust and all the things that I've always, you know, basically getting to help my CEO build a company I wanted to work for. And so I got to do all that. And as I was doing that, it it opened up doors for me. So, I mean, my advice to anybody young listening to this is, is, you know, there's an old quote from from a motivational speaker and in, in over here, Jim Rohn, he says, oh, uh, learn to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And to me, that's that's what that's what it's all about, is if you can if you work, I think the quote is, if you work hard on your on your job, you'll make a living. If you work hard on yourself, you'll make a fortune. And I and I don't think it's necessarily a monetary fortune. It's it's a fortune of of joy and purpose and in and, in and, and getting the most out of life, getting the most out of your career. Um, but yeah, those early years can be difficult. They can be hard. So like, keep your head down. Like if you have a goal, just know what you're working towards and how to work towards it. And don't be that person that wakes up at age forty and did nothing and then is surprised that they're in the same dead end job. And they hate it. And Sundays suck. And I, man, I don't even want to get out of bed tomorrow. I have to go to that job again. But you look back at the last 20 years of your life and you've done not, you've developed no skills. You haven't networked. You haven't met people. You haven't, you know, especially now in the internet, like you can go on Khan Academy, Udemy, any name, the LinkedIn and, and take a class on, Agile project management, take a class on scrum. Like you can do anything you want to with the internet. Now there's no reason you're not developing mm-hmm. skills. So like being committed to investing that time in yourself and figuring out where you want to be and where your purpose is. And sometimes that requires trying new things. It requires trying different jobs just because, you know, and it requires failing. You know, I did sales for three years. I'm not a salesperson, but guess what? I'm an entrepreneur now. Guess who's selling. So some of those skills come back into play. Um, but you know, accepting that failure, I did outside sales for three years. And when you talk to CEO, CEOs and CO, most of them have done sales like the fact that you at least were willing to put yourself out there where there's a high probability you'll fail at sales. It is a hard, hard job. It was probably the hardest job I ever had. And, um, the fact that you're willing to put yourself out there and fail and learn from those, those failures. But I think about all the lessons I got, all the CEOs and CFOs I sat down across from trying to sell, but I learned about their business. I learned about their industry. So I I think that's the big thing is just be willing to invest in yourself um, and and continue to put yourself in, you know, good things come, you know, what do they say? Good uh, luck is where opportunity meets hard work. So I think if you're working hard on yourself and you're putting yourself out there and you're putting yourself in situations to meet people and connect with people, I think that, that it naturally happens, but I don't think it's going to happen just because you sit and want it to happen. So I think that's my big thing is that like, you know, ask any, no CEO just kind of got to where they are because they got there through hard work. And I think that's the one thing with the great resignation that I think we, we have to draw the line is hard work is okay. But working, you know, 80, 90 hours and, and, and it's solely for the job, if you're not getting anything out of that, if you're not getting better yourself, if you're not focused on what's next, then hard work is a giant kind of waste of time. I think, but if, if you can figure out like hard work is, is what you're going to need to do, but making sure that it's on yourself and not on your job, I think is the key differentiator.
0: Right. Right, Nathan. So now let's look at it from the company's side. Uh, Because they obviously need talent. They may act the way they want to. They don't want to solve problems. Some of them, several of them want to solve. But at the end of the day, they would still need people to work. And they would need young people. Because they would either bring a lot of strength with them. A lot of brilliant minds with them. And they would be the ones who, you know, plan and do things for their company. Now, the problem is that if these people find their purpose, then you are not going to find them. So what should the companies do to find them, to find the right people, to attract the right people from the young generation? How do they do that?
1: Um, you know, I think a big thing is is building a culture of, of trust and transparency and and follow through on what you're actually, Because I always say that like the first thing, because that's what what we do at Profitable Purpose. We do, we help companies certify as B Corps, but we also do a lot of mission, vision, values, culture gap analysis, things like that. So I think understanding like what you as the CEO or the C-suite or whatever executive team, what you think your company is or what you set out to be. And then what is the actual lived experience of your employees? because I think there's nothing worse than when you run, you know, a recruiting ad or a commercial or and your employees see it and go like that that's not that's not my lived experience. I think you you foster resentment and nowadays, I mean, you have Glassdoor, you have LinkedIn, you have all these places for employees to leave reviews and yes, yeah, some of them are just disgruntled employees that right But for for the most part, like people talk and if you're smart and you're applying for jobs, you go on LinkedIn and you find people that work there and you reach out and you get a sense of the culture. And even if somebody's trying to paint a a, a rosy picture, I think you're going to get through like, what is the actual like, is it as great as I've been sold by the recruiting team or is it something completely different? So I think for companies to find these people, I think it's 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 being authentic it's being authentic. It's being true to your values. It's, it's holding yourself accountable. It's setting goals. It's, it's how do you get better? I mean, I think this young generation also wants to see a lot more, you know, how active are we in the community? What are we doing to be the change we want to see? Like we can be a business, we can make money, but what else are we doing to make the world a better place to make our community a better place to not harm the environment? and i think these things matter and if you pay them lip service especially with gen z if you pay them lip service like they know they like you're greenwashing it's not going to work like they see right through it and they'll call you out for it so i think that's the important part for businesses and honestly at this point is is i when companies ask me and it's funny because more and more i'm hearing this more and more in the b corp space when i asked the ceo like why are you certifying and you know, they said, we're already doing all the things we're already doing the community involvement. We have the solar panels, we're recycling all of our water. Like we're doing the things, but we need that. We need that standard. Like we need that, that seal of approval, that B Corp logo on the website, because if we're going to recruit the next generation, we have to be able to verify what we're doing because everybody's do everybody's at least claiming to do it. Um, so they, 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 I think that's an important step for companies to look at, too, is like, how do we, how do we communicate that we are really sincere with what we're doing? This isn't just an act and it isn't just something we're doing to get you to come work for us. And then you get there and it's something different.
0: Right. Right, Nathan. Uh, you were, you talk about B Corp certification. Uh, can you help us understand what exactly and that it can help, it can make. Uh, make everybody better?
1: Yeah, so um, it is B Corp certification is to a business what lead is to a building or certified organic is to milk or chocolate or whatever food good. So it is a third-party certification that you get. So you have to go through the nonprofit B-Lab. There's B-Lab Global, which is oversees all of the standards. And there's this tedious assessment that you have to take that goes through, it goes through your corporate governance. It goes through workers. It goes through um, community, environment, and then your customers. So all kinds of questions from like, you know, are you paying a living wage? What kind of benefits do you have? Um, Do you have a code of ethics? Do you have a a board of directors? You know, how diverse is your company? How diverse is your supply chain? How local is your supply chain? Are you tracking emissions, scopes one through three? What are you doing with your emissions? Do you have targets to lower your emissions? Um, How transparent are you with your clients? Do you have a data privacy policy? Are you GDPR compliant? So going through and like all the things, like the best practices checklist and, and you have to get to at least 80 points and then once you submit, you go through an entire, you go through an evaluation where they just kind of like baseline skim it and go, okay, onto the next phase, which is verification. And when you get out of the verification phase that you jump on a call with somebody from B lab, that's trained to go through the assessment. And they, essentially, it's an audit. They go through your, ver- their, your assessment and it's like, okay, prove this, prove that. Why'd you answer this that way? Let's talk through this. What do you actually do in the community? What's your, what's your program? How's that set up? So you go through and it's, I mean, it can take from the point you start the assessment to when you're finally certified. I mean, it can take companies a year, two years to finally get the bigger, the company, probably the longer the timeline, but it is, it is rigorous. So when you see the B Corp logo, it's like, oh, okay. Like what, you know, it's kind of like lead. I don't know what goes into lead. I know when I walk into a lead, I see lead platinum. I'm like, whoo, this building it's efficient. <laughs> I'm guessing exactly. there's a lot of natural light. I'm guessing it's pretty energy efficient. I'm probably solar. Pa- I don't, I just know it's the gold standard of buildings. So B Corp's kind of the same way. Like I don't need you to know how the sausage is made. I just kind of need you to understand that like it, it is a really, really, really difficult certification for a company to get. So if you see it, it is incredibly, it says a lot for the company and for the intentions because it, it costs time, it costs money. I mean, there's a whole, I mean, I started a consultancy to do this. There's And I'm not the first, you know, that there's, there's a whole industry of consultants that, that are for hire to help with this. So, I mean, usually there's a full-time resource on the inside of a big company working on it. And then once you certify, you have to recertify every three years. So that recertification process means every, you know, you're tracking now you have all these KPIs of how much pro bono work are we doing, how much community volunteer time. And we're tracking all these, you know, our missions and our, you know, like a diversity and supplier diversity and supplier questionnaires and, you know, going back and like, you know, randomly inspecting our suppliers and it's, it becomes very consuming, but again, it speaks to the commitment that a company is willing to go through and to make, um, to, to distinguish themselves from everybody else's marketing campaign.
0: Okay, okay. So the next time uh, the human resource department asks you for your certification, you ask for some certifications from the company. Do you have B Corp certification? Do you have this, do you have that? Do you have solar panels and all that stuff? But now uh, I think you have uh, quite well, uh, help us understand this whole concept of purpose and also be got certification now tell us about this book you're just showing me before the show and what this book is all about and how people can find it useful and where they can get it it's brand new
1: yeah literally the ebook came out yeah this is my author's copy um where you see not for resale (laughs) um but the ebook came out yesterday uh
0: happy monday instead of manic monday
1: yes i well and it's funny because i came out that's why i dropped it yesterday where i was like um happy monday i guess i should release it on a monday but yeah the ebook's out now the paper copy the actual copy will come out i think next monday um but everybody has a kindle at this point you got it
0: you you got it on a monday
1: yeah so and it's and right now the ebook is only 99 cents um on amazon so if you look up happy monday um it's still weird. I had to fill out an author profile. It's really scary. I'm not going to lie. Like a lot of this is my story. So it goes super in depth about working in trucking, working, renting cars. And then, you know, kind of, I got laid off twice in a year and, but it comes back to that premise of like always working towards what I wanted. Um, and then just sharing the tips that I guess I picked up along the way, like trusting your gut, when to walk away from a bad job, when to you know, how to, you know, just networking best practices, like, you know, how, how do you find the people? Like, how do you find a job that might not be listed? So going through kind of my career and sharing some of the failures and sharing some of the successes, but a lot of failures. And, you know, I drove an Uber and I bartended and, you know, I went back to school and it it is, uh, it was a terrifying process. Um, Knowing that people now, and I share my story freely on podcasts, but now it's like in a book. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's designed to help. I, I think anybody from students to young professionals of just people just kind of like adrift. And I found myself kind of adrift towards the end of my twenties of like, what am I doing? Like, what happened to that dream job? You know, when I was in you know school and I wrote the paper about being this important international businessman and this is what I was going to do, and all of a sudden you're like none of that's come true, you know, and like having to kind of reset and figure out like, what am I working towards? How do I work towards it? And I just think there's, there's things that I learned that maybe I wish I had known when I was in my early twenties, or I wish I had known when I was in college and kind of figuring out like, how do you roadmap out your career? And it's not going to be, you know, defined, super defined as you make a roadmap, but how do you think about where you're going to be and where you want to be? And, what am I good at? And, and you know, what, what do I enjoy doing? What don't I enjoy doing? What do jobs like that look like? And nowadays with again with LinkedIn and everything, like if there's a, if you want to be a chief sustainability officer, go on LinkedIn, look up the job. Somebody's hiring for one. And if you're not qualified, look at what, what qualifications do they want? What skills do they require? You know, what do you, what do you need? What, so, and now how can I go develop those skills? How do I put myself in a position where 10 years from now I'm qualified for a chief sustainability officer job. I think too many people look at that job and go, man, I'd love to do that job. And then 10 years from now they wake up and they go, man, I'd still love to do that job. And I haven't developed any of the skills or anything. So it's just some some tips and tricks and ways to think a little bit outside the box. I joke with my, you know, I, I teach in the same program I got my MBA. And I joke with the folks in the career center that I'm like, this book is for the people like me who get here and you don't know how to help them. (laughs) You don't know. You're like, you you don't, you don't want to go work for Delta or UPS or Home Depot or any of the companies that we have. Like, so people like me are showing up in MBA programs and this is what they're looking to do. So I think it's a good book for people that kind of are, are looking for more out of work. So that's why I wrote it. Um, Again, terrifying but awesome, and and the feedback so far has been great. So, yeah, hopefully great. this 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 is the start of uh, many more books.
0: Great, great, lots of learning, and I I'm quite impressed uh, with all those experience of yours. And uh, uh, you started from where, and you are now handling a couple of companies. And I don't know what is left. You are you are a lot of things: entrepreneur, nonprofit, leader, lecturer, author. And you at every step of the way you have tried to learn and gain knowledge that was required for not only the present, but also for the future. And as, as this book suggests, now you are looking at a very different phase in life where you can actually, you know, share your knowledge in a nutshell with a a lot of people and move forward. So people can now talk to you more, learn from you more and chart their course better. So in addition to the book, you also have a podcast. Tell us about that and how can uh, listeners or my audience can uh, listen to your podcast.
1: Yeah, so it's Be The Change Georgia. It is was originally focused on just the B Corp community in the state of Georgia, but it's moved beyond and now it's more ecosystem focused. So everybody from impact investors to nonprofit leaders to um people in the diversity equity and inclusion space of just bringing like thought leaders onto the show and kind of and and also getting inside their head a little bit i enjoy asking them like like tell us about you tell us about your story tell us about you know you know what do you what do you, what do you wish people understood more about your job so I, I i don't know that i naturally pivoted but i think i have a little bit to to kind of a, a more holistic kind of career um, but also Impact Focus Podcast. So it's, it's on all the major podcast platforms. If you put in Be The Change Georgia, you'll find it. Um, it's on Apple and Spotify and all that good stuff.
0: Right. And how do people connect with you if they want to? You
1: know? uh, LinkedIn's the way to go. That's the only one I use. Um, I had to quit Facebook because I got sick of arguing <laughs> politics and football and <laughs> soccer and everything in between. Like, why am I arguing with strangers? so linkedin.com um and then it's slash nathan a stuck
0: right right please
1: do i always say that at the end of every conversation i'm like man be intentional like network get out there like connect if somebody says connect with me connect with them um you know i think about all the you know even for me like i'll sit there when i'm on you know virtual meetings or whatever and i literally write down everybody's name that i'm in the breakout room with or whatever and then i like as soon as that call's over, I'm on LinkedIn connecting with all of them, especially if somebody piqued my interest or I say, hey, can I get, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to learn more of what you said about that, whatever thing that we were talking about. Um, would you have 15 minutes next week, you know, to, to jump on a quick call? And I would just like to kind of ask you a couple follow up questions. And 99% of the time they're going to say yes. And it's funny because that used to be me making the ask and now it's people making the ask of me. Um, but most of the time, especially in the social impact, social entrepreneur, purpose driven space, like. People are going to say yes because somebody helped us get to where we're going. So if we can help you get to where you're going, we're we're very happy to to be that that helping helping hand, helping ear, helping mentor, or whatever.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Because a lot of people make their experiences in life uh, uh, from the first people they meet. If it's work life, like I met a lot of very very good people, very talented people in my journalism career. And that shaped my understanding of people, you know, understanding of career and understanding of human mind also. That the world, even if it was not sometimes very good later on, I always knew that there were very good people at the beginning. So the world is certainly full of a lot of good people. It's such that you need to find them. So I'm sure uh, a lot of people will find you and learn from you and get mentored by you. And I don't know how many people get in touch, but that's that's for them. I will certainly be in touch with you. It will be a pleasure to do that. So thank you very much, Nathan, for your time on this show. And we'll be in touch. Thank with you. This, Adrian,
1: thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you. With this, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass. Thank you.